Hello again. Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium, episode 36. This episode is the continuation of my interview with my old master's thesis advisor, Ann Hoffmeister, a mineralogist, yes, a mineralogist, by training, well, you know, a solid-state physicist. Um, that does not stop her from, in this episode, going postal and full bull in a china shop on the subject of galactic rotation. Although if I'm reading the citations in her papers correctly, I think there are some astronomers who are happy to, uh, well, you know, at least go somewhat in the same direction. Perhaps that's, if you were one of those astronomers and you feel you've been slandered by the statement, feel free to write me an email. Well, um, yeah, so she talks about uh, galactic rotations and at the, uh, we, we indulge in a little bit of mathematical physics. And including her decrying of the practice of uh, using Poisson's equation when you're summing over densities in the inhomogeneous term. You can't see the uh, eyebrow raise I gave you there. And uh, Gauss's theorem, can't forget Gauss's theorem. Uh, and then at the end, uh, talks a little bit about the glass transition and uh, the possibility that everyone who's ever measured the glass transition had a sample with water in it. So if that's, if the, the first episode wasn't controversial enough, uh, by all means, get out the popcorn and uh, have another listen. You know, let's, let's go on and talk a little bit about galaxies. So, so you've done, you've written some papers. How far back have you been uh, dealing with this question? I don't, uh, is it just uh, three or four years at this point, or is it longer than that? It's longer than that. It's longer than that. It's, 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 we're publishing in astronomy. We're not. We don't have the PhD in astronomy. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. we're outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not generally well. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome with open arms. Right. Right. Well, it's a little bit like Wegener's uh, mm -hmm. reception mm -hmm. as a meteorologist talking about geology. Yeah, that's always a, a famous story. So. So you've been you have but you have written some papers about the rotation of galaxies. galaxies. So galaxy rotation is this you know if if you assume that each star is just orbiting independently on mm -hmm. a you know a Newton Kepler orbit mm -hmm. an elliptical orbit it should be going slower and slower and slower mm -hmm. if it's just a point mass orbiting some mm -hmm. big central thing at the core of the galaxy which is of course exactly not what's seen. That's right. Yeah. And well let's talk for a moment about how we even see that. How do we get galaxy rotation curves? What's the what's the data? The, the data is the Doppler shift of the galaxy. Yeah. So, so you'll see if one side of the galaxy is rotating away versus yeah, yeah. Are you so so the data depends on the orientation of the galaxy, mm -hmm. and you can't really sample the interior, right? So they can only get so far, so close, but but. It's positive on one side, away to, from you on one side, and towards you on the other, so it has to go through zero at the center. Yeah. And yeah. the mystery is, the unexplained mystery is, why do galaxies spin like records? Right. They have zero spin at the center. Yeah, 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 as opposed to being like, you know, Mercury going mm -hmm. as fast as it does, and mm -hmm. Neptune going as slow as it does. Um, so obviously it's not the same model, whatever's going on. No, it's not on. the same model. But the basis, the basis of the theoretical existing theoretical models, is the solar system. Yeah. And the solar system has ninety nine point nine percent of the mass at the center in the sun. Yeah. And that's not how galaxies are built. No, galaxies have most of their mass on the outside. Yeah. Just from 
constant density, it's obvious. Yeah. Even if the density density peters out, which it must in the galaxies, they yeah. get more and more, fewer and fewer stars, less and less dense as you go out. But even with that, you still have most of the mass towards the outside. Yeah, yeah. So out, out in the spiral arms. So again, a galaxy like the Andromeda, there's a lot of mass in that central bulge, but there's an awful lot of mass out in the Much arms. Much more out in the arms. Yeah. 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 So, so the the analogy is is a spinning hurricane. Right. Yeah. So the spinning hurricanes have the arms, they, they have the central concentration, and it goes beyond that. If you measure, you can measure, airplanes fly through hurricanes, yeah. and the velocity curves, the velocity with distance from the center looks very much like the velocities of the galaxies. Yeah, yeah, I saw that, uh, they, that, they that graph. It's surprising. They, they it is scale. surprising. Yeah. So it's, and yet, it's, of course, it's not surprising because they're star-shaped rotating objects. Why wouldn't yeah. they be similar? Yeah. <laughs> So, so the mathematics is is you can use Newtonian equations and uh, for spin, which is actually Newton and Maclaurin mm -hmm. way back. In he the of the Maclaurin series that we learned yeah. in calculus. Yeah, yeah. call him Maclaurin. Yeah, and if you use their equations, you get a perfectly reasonable velocity curves for the galaxies. So, because you have something that's more like a, a, a soft, a non-rigid, but rotating object that has some, yeah. some sort of coherence well, to it. it. It's more than some sort. So, yeah. so the, uh, the orbits, they're organized. They're, mm -hmm. The orbits are organized. Mm -hmm. And the basic way I'd explain that is think about it. Think about Boston at rush hour. <laughs> okay. There you go. To yeah. make forward progress, the cars have to behave in a reasonable manner. Yes. <laughs> so you don't want to collide the cars. So what mm. one car does depends on what the, all the neighbors do. Right. There's only that creates space for them to act, and they have to act in a somewhat coherent fashion. And that's what the stars do. So star A has a gravitational attraction to all the ones around it and they just kind of move forward together mm -hmm. in according to, to Newton's laws. Right. A little bit like parcels of air in a hurricane all mm -hmm. have to, you know, mm -hmm. they're not going to bunch up to, you know, arbitrarily high densities and arbitrarily low densities. They're going to stay somewhere near atmospheric pressure and, and the corresponding density thereof. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The stars are going to do something somewhat similar. Yeah. So, it's still gravitational, but it's it's a lot more complicated than the the system we the part we have in the solar system, where not only is ninety nine point odd percent of the mass yeah. at the core, but there's also you know here's Jupiter. Well, mm -hmm. Jupiter's how much of the rest of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then there's all this empty space scattered in a few places with very few tiny objects like the asteroid belt mm -hmm. or the or the Kuiper belt, which is even thinner. Yeah. But a galaxy is just it's just not built that way. How do nebulas fit into that? Do they play any particular distinct role there? I mean, we certainly don't have anything like that in the solar system. So speaking of uh, galactic rotation and nebulas. The nebulas should be very slowly rotating mm -hmm. to be stable. Mm -hmm. If they're not rotating, they're going to collapse. Right, yeah, just like your... Uh, <laughs> Just like the air in the room we yeah, were talking yeah. about. Uh, no, about. so they, they should be slowly rep rotating. They're, they're, they're big. Yeah. 
how much of the mass of, I mean, it ranges, you know, there are galaxies that are, have a lot of gas and are generating stars, and there are ones that probably have very little mass in nebulas, but yeah, what's the upper end for contemporary? Well, there's those giant molecular clouds that we yeah. think the stars form from, yeah. and the galaxies should have formed from even bigger clouds. Yeah, they themselves should have been some sort of cloud, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they, yeah. they clearly formed from a cloud. Yeah. So that that's the paper that, that was just accepted. Okay. It's it's Bob's. It's really Bob's paper, not yeah. mine. But we, we use the same thing. We use the Newtonian classical physics equations mm-hmm. and energy minimization and the virial theorem, which connects kinetic kinetic energy and gravitational potential to come up with a simple model of how galaxies mm-hmm. evolve. Mm-hmm. That's. That's one of those terms. Virial theorem is used in a lot of branches of mathematical physics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's actually misused, too. So well, the, yeah. the real virial theorem is a, a time-independent. Okay. It's time-independent. Okay, okay. So that's like the Earth orbiting the sun. You mm. And where's the starting point? Where's the ending point? Yeah. If it's a cir- I mean, if it's not a circle, it's... If it's an ellipse, it's a yearly thing, so you can see it. But if it's a circle, there's no beginning and end. The points are all equivalent. Mm -hmm. We only got so far into that paper. The the one, well, actually, I guess they both were from last year. But Mm -hmm. the, uh, yeah, the one that where you uh, you started with uh, modeling, you know, just as a first approximation almost to try to get it, you know, the opposite of what's out there is to mm-hmm. go all the way to a rigid body and, you know, mm-hmm. at least start the analysis there. And then you, so I, I, I managed to get most of the way through that paper. And, uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, the question I had at the end of it, obviously galaxy, I mean, it doesn't rotate like a rigid object either, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, but it's still because there's so much mass spread out in the rim, I mean, in the arms mm-hmm. of the, of the galaxy, mm-hmm. um, it behaves more like a, coherent object than the solar system does because the solar system really is these nearly isolated yeah they're, they're nearly isolated they're, yeah. They're, yeah whereas a galaxy is a huge network of billions of stars billions that are of stars and it's it's gridlock it really is gridlock yeah yeah and they're and they're gravitationally you know attracted in gra- one to another in gravitational balance hauling each other along yeah. in these big associations yeah. so i like to, i like to think of it as a net yeah. And in the solid, we, we talk about it as being rigid. Well, the yeah. the bonds are closer and, and, and strong. They're strong mm-hmm. electrostatic bonds, mm-hmm. but they're still they're still. If you think of the nucleus and the electrons whizzing around it, yeah. a hunk of iron is is empty space too. Right. It's, yeah. And if you think of the mass in the nucleus, and yeah. they're all they're they're yeah. all, it's it's. And yet, the because the electrons are fermions, they can only they can only pack so densely. Yeah, they can only pack so densely. Yeah. But uh, the the uh, gravity gravity in the galaxy is the same inverse square force as the electrostatic coulombic forces governing the solid. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, no, <laughs> the, it's, it's the, the same both forces, forces have the so, same. Same mathematical form. So the argument that the galaxies 
the spin like a record isn't a good model because the galaxies are rigid is bogus. Right. They're the same yeah. inverse square yeah. force. Yeah. Atoms are being held together. I mean, molecules and macroscopic objects are held together by electro electromagnetic yeah, forces, forces and yeah. galaxies are held together by gravitation. Yeah, and they're both inverse square laws. Yeah, both yeah. inverse square laws. Yeah. yeah. Which is in itself is is fascinating. Why yeah. are those both inverse square laws? Right. Uh, I yeah. think there's a connection there that hasn't yeah. has never been fully developed. Yeah. Well, I mean, the person who there's there's definitely a Nobel waiting for the person who can fold gravity and <laughs> electromagnetics in together, but yeah. <laughs> um Gosh, and to you know, maybe maybe tip us uh, finally over the edge into mathematical nerddom. We could talk a little bit about uh, Poisson's equation and how it works, because that was that was one of the major uh, topics of those two papers. Is that yeah. you know that there is a again a sort of you know a flaw in the mm -hmm. assumptions of the method mm -hmm. that uh, methods that are used mm -hmm. in the recent literature to talk about rotational curves. Yeah, no, the the, the uh... As things, as theories, models, science, research, whatever develop, they tend to get more and more complicated. Yeah. So the basic model of the galaxy is that it should, why, is, is it like this? It should be like the solar system. That's Vera Rubin. Yeah. The, the Keplerian law. Mm -hmm. And then it morphed to, well, we're going to use Poisson's equation to model this. And we mm -hmm. get the same answer, so it must be right, because Poisson's equation is right. The problem is the way they use Poisson's equation is yeah. they sum densities. Yeah. And you, that doesn't work. Right. So well, where, can, do, where was Poisson's equation originally? I mean, let's talk a little bit about it in terms of the mathematics. Like, how is it related to other sort of classical partial differential equations we use in physics? Well, it, it's related to Laplace's, which is zero density. Right. But... Um, I mean, Poisson's basic? basically Poisson's equation was derived for constant density, mm -hmm. and you, the galaxies to use that they sum densities, and that's not you can't you can't do that. It's like throwing throw a gold coin in the, the Pacific Ocean. The density of the Pacific isn't going to change. I you know. don't sum the densities; you sum the mass. It's the yeah. the yeah. thermal extensive versus intensive mm -hmm. variables. And there's plenty in math where you don't, um, for a homogeneous equation, you, you can add for non-homogeneous, which is Poisson. You can't, yeah. the solutions subtract, they don't right. add. Laplace's equation is homogeneous because it's zero. <laughs> equals zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the wrong math and the wrong physics has been applied in their use of Poisson's. And if you look how they're using Poisson's, it's actually no different than Kepler's equation. Right. Right. Boy, did, boy, do the astronomers get upset when you point that out to them. Right. Right. <laughs> so, let's see. Yeah. And then you, you talk about the theorem of Gauss, and to be perfectly honest, I didn't get far enough to see which of the theorems of Gauss you were using. Oh, the, the theorem that it's the... uh have to do with... Uh, it's surface the, the and body, body integrals. Surface and body integrals. Okay, yeah. yeah and the, the yeah. basically, it's the mass. Ma basically, what Gauss's theorem is is focused on. Oh, 
Oh, that's Bob. Oh, all right. I mean, Paul's oh, interviewing me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was going to take off. Okay. Um, the thing is, is what's being pulled. The, yeah. for, the force or the potential. You, you have a volume, and you're, you're you're considering something within that volume, and the flux through the surface around that volume has to equal the flux of that quantity within that volume. So it's the mass contained. It's the mass contained that's important. Yeah. That yeah. Uh, yeah. Stuff stuff can't just disappear. No. They can't go can't through a disappear. tesseract and not have to go through the boundary in order to get there. No. <laughs> so and just the thing is, Gauss's. Theorem is directly connected with mass, mm -hmm. which is the variable that's summing in a galaxy. Whereas right. Poisson's is connected with density, yeah. and you can't sum density. So, right. so the simpler thing is to work with the more direct variable that you want to know, anyways. Right. It's the mass. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was what your that was your major point in the paper is that you you sum extensive variables like mass, where mm -hmm. you, you add more stuff, you have more of that variable. Mm -hmm. Mass is like that. Moles are like that. You mm -hmm. know, things like that. As opposed to temperature or pressure or, yeah, all of those things are. Mm -hmm. Entropy is an extensive variable, but pressure and temperature are intensive variables. If you add more stuff, you don't change the temperature. If it's the same temperature, you just have more stuff mm -hmm. at the same mm -hmm. temperature. Pressure pressure can actually be messy. It depends whether well, it's yeah. external applied pressure, yeah. like in a piston cylinder, yeah. car engine, yeah. or internal, like the Earth's mass waiting on it and creating the pressure yeah. inside. Yeah, yeah. So if you're are, considering the system in itself. That's, that's yeah. different. So you got to be careful with pressure, and that's created, that's created a lot of confusion. Yeah. In thermodynamics, yeah, is is understanding what is the dependent variable rather than what is the intensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Independent and intensive. It tripped up my undergraduates in petrology class, and it can trip up people oh, yeah. well, working no, no, in the field. Yeah. Lot, yeah, there's a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, always being willing to go back and critique your own work again. One mm -hmm. of the things you have to do in That's science. That's what helps. Said. Yeah. That's from Helmholtz. Yeah. That he said the enemy of advancing science is being weighed your own ego. Yeah. And so yes. you have to thoroughly and carefully inspect your own work. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be your own works, you know. You, most, you ought to be your own worst look, critic. The most trenchant critic, yeah. Yeah. Be willing to actually dig, dig as far down into it as you can. So. Was there something, because um, we mentioned in the, uh, while we were breaking there, that you had some, uh, you, had some you, were, you were saying the most exciting stuff is always what isn't published, which is yes, a good way. Yes. It's a good way to run a career, you yeah. know, to, to, to ha not have the, uh, to have the best ahead, right? Mm -hmm. So what's, what's the most exciting thing you're working on right now? Well, right now, I'm working on, working on thermal expansivity. Okay. And most of that is done by x-ray. The problem with x-ray is that, it's not sensitive enough. Okay. And yeah. it's not measuring the defects. Right. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd make a difference. And you can't measure glasses yeah. with it or magmas or no. melts, which are no. of great interest to earth science. Yeah. So there have been other people worried about the, the thermal expansivity of melts, but all of them stopped when the thermal expansivity started taking up. Yeah. And they view that as the glass transition. Okay. Which goes back to, to uh, I can't say his name right, Kyunk? 
Okay. G A A Q U E. Oh yeah. Nobel yeah, yeah. Prize. Yeah. And what he measured was the heat capacity. He was concerned about entropy in the third law. Mm-hmm. So you you melt a crystal and you get a, and you have to put heat in to melt it. Yeah. And that's the that's that 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 changes the entropy. Right. And what he also saw is when you melt a glass, you also mm-hmm. have to put heat into it. And he came up with the term the glass transition, and yet there's no structural change. Okay. So what I'm seeing in my experiments with the dilatometry is it's water leaving. Okay. okay. So what's happening is you have a two-phase phase mixture of magma and water. Right. And when you heat it up, it starts expanding rapidly at what yeah. people call the glass transition. Okay. Because water, especially when it's turning to steam... Mm-hmm is so much less dense than the silicate, it just goes up and out. Yeah. So what Gauck did is he measured glycerin, okay. thinking it was pure. Okay. It was full of water. Yeah, or at least and it had enough water to... It, it, so what he was yeah. actually measuring, what he called the glass transition, is actually outgassing water, too. Okay. It has nothing to do with glycerin itself. Right. So, I just I finished a proposal to look at this further. Mm-hmm. I've done a bunch of pilot experiments. Um, I'm arguing with my colleagues. I think they're still talking to me, but right. <laughs> but Communication is also. I believe important. the thing is that I measure thermal expansivity at different heating rates, and I get different results. Yeah, I measured it at hold times. And if you hold the sample, if it's hot enough, it, it contracts. Yeah. So that means it's losing its gas. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's 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 bad. If and when you start heating it again, it'll start expanding. So yeah. every you hold it and it contracts. You heat it and it expands. You hold it and it contracts. So what <laughs> yeah. else can that be if the thing's outgassing? Right. Right. And so it wasn't recognized because the previous experiments were all done under the same conditions. Right. What uh, what what era was that when JLK was doing this? Uh... 1923. There you go. The glass transition the, yeah. the, it, it was coined by JLK in 1923, 1923 yeah. measuring glycerin that he thought was anhydrous. Right. And the same mistakes being made now in earth science, they're measuring glasses that they think are anhydrous. Uh-huh. And they're not. And they're not. Yeah. They're not. There's adequate water to throw things completely off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so so that that's what I'm doing currently. And I, I think, the, and this goes back to heat. It's the, actually the same thing. Heat is dynamic. If you measure your properties near equilibrium, yeah. you're not seeing what's really going on. Right. Very little of the universe is all that close to... <laughs> no, it's not. And the disequilibrium is yeah. the most interesting. Right. Yeah, that's when things happen. That's when things happen. Yeah. So so that's the current thing. And there's the galaxies. We just had this paper accepted. There's more to do on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I'm 64 now, mm-hmm. and I have no plan of retiring. Yeah. And I work 70-hour weeks because I have... Too much to do to complete in the <laughs> yeah. next thirty years. Right? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, I don't think you're you're, you're not going to go like my uh, my great uncle Arnold and uh, just start the 
hanging out at the casinos. Oh, Europe. no, definitely not. <laughs> As a scientist, I don't have that much money to waste. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, he was he was living off of his his pension. He was a he was a he was a colonel in the air force when uh, he retired, and he uh, and he lived to be ninety nine. So uh, good we were for him. yeah. But no, I, I think there's I think there's lots of exciting stuff to do in science. Yeah. But you just you have to keep your eyes open and, yeah. and, and be very be from Missouri and be very suspicious. Be very suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> suspicious and maybe a wee bit stubborn. Yes, yeah. that too. Yeah. That too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fabulous. All right, well, I was glad we were able to do this. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. So yeah.